I've read all the books, I've taken piles of classes, and the tests, lots of tests. You can listen to lectures or write dissertations on research. You can spend time in the library, write essays on the material from class. But there are some things you learn outside the classroom, some formation of the soul that can't come from a book. There are some lessons that only God in the backdrop of plain old life can teach you. And these are the lessons that form your character. The ways God molds and shapes his pupils. A new type of classroom. Young Adults University. How's it going, you guys? Oh my gosh. Sit down. Wow. Wow. Guys, I do not deserve any of that, but it is so, woo, it is so good to be with you guys tonight. I, um, as Jesse said, I'm an intern here, and I love you guys so much. I have been so blessed and so honored to be a part of this ministry for the last seven months, nine months. Um, it's amazing. Um, it's absolutely amazing. A couple things. For those of you who don't know, I'm Rachel, um, as Jesse just told you. I want to introduce you to my family really quick. They're sitting right here in the front row. This is my mom, my dad, and my brother, Michael. Um, and up here, gosh, we are a really good-looking family. Um, I don't know if you can see that, but we are. And um, I am, everything that I am, a huge part of it is because of these people. I get my sassiness from my father, I get my sweetness from my mother, and I get my sense of humor from my brother. Um, so together, we all make a pretty dang good team. Um, I love them. Thank you guys so much for being here. I'm so grateful for you. Next, I would love to just give a quick shout out to my intern group. I love you guys so much. I know a lot of you are right here. We have been able to spend the last seven months very together. We're together a lot. And whether that means we love each other or can't stand each other, I'm not sure yet. But no, I'm just kidding. I love you guys. You guys have been some of my greatest friends. You guys have become like family to me in these last seven months. And I can't wait to see where this next step of life takes us. Last, I just want to thank the young adult team. You guys do not understand how much this team pours into you, how much they love you, what they sacrifice for you. And this team, we were talking yesterday, and I've never been so grateful to be a part of such an amazing team. It's amazing what happens when you bring people together who will fight for you, but will fight with you for the same thing. And I'm so grateful. So Doug and Connor and Sam and Aaron and Wit and Shar and Aaron, I love you guys. Thank you for your encouragement and always pouring into me. And last but not least, I just want to thank Jesse Davis. Guys, Jesse... You are the best leader I've ever had the opportunity to work under. I love you so much. And guys, I wouldn't be where I am if it weren't for Jessie. She's amazing. And even double what this young adult ministry puts in, she puts in. Her and John put into this ministry. Jessie, I love you. I'm so grateful for you. Thank you for your encouragement, for believing in me when I don't even believe in myself. Jess and John, I love you guys. I love your family. I'm so grateful for you guys. Thanks for all you do. All right, you guys, will you just bow your heads with me and let's pray. Holy Spirit, I can feel you here. And God, you're so good. 
God, I'm so excited to be here tonight. I'm so excited to speak this word because, God, I believe it's straight from you. I believe it's straight from you, and God, I step aside. I step aside, and God, it's you. It's you. Speak through me. Open hearts. Change hearts tonight. God, I believe that you are going to move. Bring it on, God. Let's go. Amen. Amen. All right, you guys, so a couple weeks ago, I had the opportunity to go to New York with my parents. I'd never been, so it was really fun, but we had to wake up at 3.30 in the morning, which is just such an ungodly hour. Like, the Holy Spirit doesn't wake up until at least 8 a.m., but definitely, preferably, like 10 or 11, right? But we had to leave our house by 3.30, which meant you had to be up at 3, and I had gone to bed at like 11.30, so it was more just a power nap for me at that point. And, and so we get to the airport, and we're like, we're going to be fine. Who else in their right mind is going to be at the airport at 4 in the morning, right? Well, we get there. And, of course, the one ticketing line that is packed is ours. And you're looking around, and you're like, no one else is even open. You guys are all still blessed and sleeping. Like, what the heck? And so we get in line, and we get through fine. It's no big deal. We're still like, well, this is probably everybody on our flight, and we're the only people in the airport. So it's great. And so we get down to security, and you guys, it's packed. We're like, oh, dear. Like, it is packed, like, all the way to the back. You know how it is at DIA. And every single security center was like that. We're like, oh, great. This is going to be good. So we get down there, and uh, we're talking, and the TSA lady that's down there, you know TSA. They're great. And um, I love them. I love them. She's like, it should be about 20 to 25 minutes. And we're like, okay, cool. It's 445 at this point. You know, our flight boards at 5, but we don't leave till 530, so we're going to be fine. Well, guys, you know how it's so awkward at airports because you're just like walking and then you're walking and you always have the same people on both sides and it's so awkward and you're like, I don't have a better idea for them to fix it, but it's so weird. And then all you single people in here are secretly like, Jesus, I'd really be okay if you would give me a cute lady or a cute fella to stare at the whole time. I'd be okay with this. And it's so creepy, you guys. It's so creepy. Because you're like, hey. And you know you're never actually going to say a word to them. But it's great. It's fine. I mean, you keep doing you. <laughs> but it's ridiculous. And we realize that the reason it's so packed is because it's spring break, right? Just don't ever travel in March. Colleges, for some reason, can't figure out how to line up their spring breaks and get them all in the same week. So it's like some are like, oh, mine's the last week of February. Oh, mine's the middle of October. Like, they just can't figure it out. And so there's a ton of college kids there. There's some kids going on a mission trip to Haiti there. Like, who does that? Just kidding. That was me last summer. And, uh, and then there's this lady who's right behind us. And we hadn't really been talking to her much because, well, it's 5 in the morning. And you shouldn't talk to anyone until at least 8. And, and she's, so we kind of start chatting. And it turns out she's on our flight with us. And, uh, well, I just start kind of talking to her. And I immediately kind of regretted it because at one point I was like, oh, well, we have like 10 minutes till our flight. And apparently she hadn't really been checking her phone or her watch. And so I'm like, yeah, well, it's 520 now. And her eyes get like huge. And she's like, I swear she was about to have a panic attack, you guys. And I was like, I'm sorry. Like, I'm really sorry. And she looks at me with these wide eyes. And she's like, if you make it to the gate before me, tell them I'm coming. And I was like, I was like, well, I will tell them. Like, there's nothing I can do about it. But I'll definitely tell them that you're on their way. It was great. 45 minutes later, 
We get through security, and we're, like, booking it through security. We're those people who don't even have time to, like, zip up their boots or put their coats back on, and we're just running through. And you know all those people that are like, well, I got there three hours early, so I'm fine. And I was like, well, whatever. I didn't. And, and we get to our gate, and we're just, like, dying because we just ran through the airport. And we're on the other end of the airport, right? And we just watch as our flight slowly backs away. And we're like, hmm, cool. And, you know, they're always like, well, you know, once the cabin door is sealed, we can't open it for you. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> but praise God, praise God, there was another flight that was just boarding, um, just like a couple gates down. So we got to walk down there, and we got to walk on the plane. And everyone in there is, like, frazzled because nobody knew that security was going to be so busy, right? And so everyone's, like, out of breath. And everyone is frazzled, and everyone's like, praise Jesus, I made it. And then we're, like, two minutes away from takeoff. Well, not takeoff, but, like, you know, how you back away, and then you taxi for an hour, and it's great. Um, and, and these high school girls kind of come on, and they're kind of rushed, as the rest of us are. And they're in high school. They're heading to Nashville for a tennis tournament. And I was like, well, that's weird. Um, but so they get on, and we're, like, about to close. And the stewardesses are like, okay, like, everyone needs to sit down. We're about to shut the cabin doors. And these girls look around, and they're like, we don't have our whole team. We don't have our coaches. And secretly, we all know that their coaches were probably on their way to Costa Rica because who would go to a tennis tournament in Nashville? But so, so these girls are like, I don't know what to do. And the flight attendants are like, well, y'all need to sit down, or you need to get off make up your mind, and the girls are still freaking out, and I was like, you could call your coach, that's a thought, and, um, and so, long story long, um, they end up opening the door, and I was like, I thought once that cabin door was sealed, y'all couldn't open the door again, well, it turns out you can, turns out you can, they are lying to you when they say that, um, but so these girls, you know, they sit down, and everyone is finally on the plane, and we're like backing up, and these girls are like, oh, yeah, you know, security lines were so busy, and I was like, yeah, they were. Like, that was my story, honey. That was his story. That was his excuse, and isn't that how we live so often, you guys? We just make excuses for why something doesn't work out our way, and I was thinking about it, and a few years ago, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. I believe that God had placed this calling on my life, this calling of, Rachel, you love ministry. You love kids. You love traveling. I'm going to take that and make it into such a beautiful dream for you. And so I would come over here, and I'd be like, okay, Jesus, like, I love that. I love that picture. And I would make these lists, and I'd be like, this could be cool, or this could be cool, and this could be cool. But the problem was not in my list making. The problem was in the fact that I would take this and I would make these lists into scenarios. And I would create these scenarios in my mind that was like, oh, well, if I just do this, this is close enough to the call that God has on my life, right? It somewhat correlates with this call that Jesus has for me. And I kid you not, I was living with my parents at this time. And every single week, they were probably like, what is she going to come up with next? Because there was one point where for like a month straight, I was like, oh, I'm going to go do this. Nope, I'm going to go do this. No, I'm going to go do this. I literally, at the age of 19, with $200 in my bank account, was like, I am going to move to Australia and uh, start an orphanage because I know how to do that. And, and then I'm going to travel the world and go from place to place to country to country and start orphanages in these places. And there's nothing wrong with that, you see. But I would get so mad, and I'd get so frustrated, and I would throw these pity parties, and I was like, God, why isn't this working out? He's like, well, Rach, I didn't actually tell you that that was what you were going to do. 
And can you guys relate with this? We so love to just be handed stuff. Our generation loves right now to just be handed stuff that we don't have to work for. And so often we believe in this case that we are helping God out. You know, Jesus, I see that you've got a lot of other people to take care of. I see that. So I'm going to go home and I'm going to Google the next best thing for me because we think that it semi-correlates with this call that God has on our lives. We Google it and God's like, no, no. And we try to plan our lives out. We try to create this entire map that we can see. And we can see from point A to B to C. And we can see the whole thing. And guys, we are so afraid of the unknown. We are so afraid of the unknown. And we want these big billboards with our names written in lights, with arrows pointing one direction. No forks in the road, just a straight path, right? And then I know that some of you guys are on the opposite side of this spectrum. And I know this because I talk to you guys every week. And what the conversation usually looks like is this. And I'm like, hey, it's great to meet you. What do you like to do? What are you passionate about? And they're like, well, I love this. I love fill in the blank. I feel like God has called me to this. And I'm like, sweet, that's amazing. What are you doing to get there? What are you doing to get there? And they're like, nothing. I'm actually not really doing anything for it right now. And to a certain extent, I'm like, okay, I get it. I understand it. I used to do it. A year ago, a couple years ago, you could have asked me that same question, and I would have had that same answer. But the thing is, young adults, let me ask you this. How do you plan on becoming a lawyer if you are too afraid to apply to law school? How do you plan on becoming a pastor if you're not even helping at your local church? We want things to be handed to us. And it's not that easy. You guys have these big dreams, these beautiful dreams. And they're straight from God. Hear that. They are from God. But the thing is, is that you're so afraid to fail that you won't even take a step. And we talked about it at the Red Conference. Jessie's message was awesome. And she talked about reaping our harvest, right? She talked about reaping our harvest. But the thing is, in order to reap your harvest, you have to sow over here. You got to till up the ground. You got to plant the seeds. You got to water it. You got to wait for it to grow. And then you can come over here and you can get your fruit and you can eat it, right? You quit before you even start because you are afraid. And I think God is just looking down at us and he's like, no, my child, that's not how it's supposed to be. You don't have to be afraid of failing, but you also don't have to plan your life out. And what it comes down to, you guys, what it boils down to is fear. And it's fear of the unknown and it's fear of our dreams actually coming true because deep down inside, whether or not you want to admit it, so many of us in here are deeply afraid that God doesn't have a plan written out for your life, that he doesn't have it. And I'll tell you what, you guys, fear will keep a life so small, so small. And when we are afraid of the unknown, we are robbing God of giving us the greatest dreams of our lives. 
When we are afraid of the unknown, we are robbing God of the greatest dreams of our lives. If you're taking notes tonight, that's what tonight is titled, Robbing God. And at the beginning of this internship, God was doing a work in my heart. And so many people are like, you work at a church, that shouldn't be the case. No, I'll tell you what, it's ten times worse because you have the enemy working against you too. But here's the thing, he was cutting away, Jesus was just cutting away at my pride. He was cutting away at a lot of earthly things that needed to be taken away, but it hurt and it was painful. And every single day, the devil would poke and he would prod at me. And he would try to get me to break down. And some days it worked. Sometimes it worked. And there were days that I would just sit and I would cry. And I would journal my frustrations like, God, why am I even doing this internship? Why am I here in this life? Like, what do you have for me? And it was one of the first times, one of the first times that God spoke audibly to me. And that he spoke immediately to me. And that doesn't happen very often. And what he said to me is what I believe he wants to pour over you guys tonight. And he said to me, and he said, Rachel, am I not good? But do you believe it? Do you believe it, young adult? Do you believe that the creator of this world has a beautiful plan for your life? Do you believe? So many of you are nodding your head like, yeah, yeah, I believe. But do you actually Believe it. And don't be discouraged if the first thought that came to your mind was, I don't think I do. Even the people in the Bible who saw Jesus face to face, who saw Jesus work miracles day in and day out, even his best friends had a hard time believing in this sometimes. If you have your Bible, head to Mark chapter 9. And if you don't, that's okay. It's going to be on the screens. All right, Mark chapter 9, verse 17. Then one in the crowd, a man in the crowd answered. He said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. Wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. And Jesus answered and he said, oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring the child to me. And they brought him to Jesus. And when he, being the spirit inside the child, saw him being Jesus, immediately the spirit convulsed the child, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. And I love this part, and not because this little boy is having a seizure, but because Jesus is just so good, and he remains so calm. Can you imagine being in that crowd and looking and saying, Jesus, can you heal him? Heal this boy. And he's just like, it's okay. Just breathe with me. And he continues on just having a normal conversation with this father. He asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And the father said, from childhood. Often the spirit has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And watch this part. Jesus gets a little bit sassy. But he also has pain in his voice as he says this. Pain, not for Jesus, but pain for this father. And Jesus says to him, if you can, if I can, all things are possible for the one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and with tears on his cheeks, he said, Lord, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. And the spirit cried out, and convulsed him greatly. Oh, I skipped a part, sorry. Immediately, Jesus saw the people come running together. And when he saw them, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, I command you, come out. 
The spirit came out, convulsed him greatly, came out of the child, and he became as one dead. So many said that he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and the child arose. And I bet that Jesus knew that he was going to heal the boy before he even saw the boy. And not because Jesus is God and human, but because he's Jesus, and he always has a lesson to teach us through any of these stories. He needed this father to recognize I don't always believe in you. I believe, but help me in my unbelief, right? And Jesus is asking us the same question. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Let's flip over to Matthew chapter 15. And like I said, even Jesus' best friends had a hard time believing in Jesus sometimes. And Jesus called to his disciples, verse 32, He called to his disciples and said, I have compassion on this crowd because they have been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. And I'm unwilling to send them away hungry just in case they faint, which is a legitimate thing. And the disciples said to him, where are we going to get enough food for these people, Jesus? We're in a desolate place. And I can just imagine the disciples, they're like, hey, um, we're not near King Supers or anything. Like, we're kind of in the desert right now, Jesus. Like, what do you want us to do? But watch this. He's like, well, how many loaves do you have? They said seven and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit on the ground, could you imagine the disciples right now? They're like, excuse me, we said we don't have any food. Jesus, what are you doing? Like, why are you having these people sit down? We can't feed them. But he took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Can you guys just imagine what this looked like for a second? In my head, whenever I read this, this is ridiculous, but I see, like, bread baskets. So Jesus is like, God, thanks for this food. And then food just starts popping out of baskets. And it's like a popping bread basket, and fish are just flopping everywhere. And the kids are, like, running around chasing the fish, and it's great in my head. But anyways, (laughs) so they all ate, and all were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of broken pieces left over. And those who ate were 4,000 men not including women and children. Everyone in the Bible times pretty much got married. So you can probably take at least 7,000 more people, or I'm sorry, 3,000 more people for all the wives. So you're at 7,000, and then they all had a lot of kids. That's a lot of people, you guys. And here's the thing. The disciples are probably looking at this, and they're like, man, what a cool story. This is awesome. Look at my best friend. I know him. I get to hang out with him every day. And they're like, he's sweet. But then I look over, I look over at the page right before, you know. So in my Bible, chapter 15 is here and chapter 14 is here. I don't even have to flip a page. And I look over at it, and there's a heading that says, Jesus feeds the 5,000. And I was like, wait, they've seen this before. They've seen this before. In Matthew chapter 14, this one's not going to be up there. But it sounds so familiar. Jesus withdrew from a boat to a desolate place, but the crowds heard it and they followed him. He had compassion and healed their sick. The disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. The day is now over. Send the crowds away to go buy food for themselves. How familiar does this sound? They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have five loaves and two fish. Bring them to me. Taking the loaves and the fish, he looked up to heaven, said a blessing, broke the loaves, gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Not even a whole chapter before, the disciples had witnessed this exact same miracle. The exact same miracle. And I'm not 100% sure of the timeline between chapter 14 
in chapter 15. So I got pretty fancy, and uh, I used my little Google phones to figure this out. And, and, so, and so, okay, so if this, if this is the Sea of Galilee, okay, okay, Sea of Galilee, they, in chapter 14, were thought to be in Bethsaida, which is like right here, okay? And then in chapter 15, verse 21, Jesus went to Tyre and Sidon. So he was here, and he went up here, and he went up here, which is pretty north. And then in verse 21 of chapter 15, or I'm sorry, 29, it said that Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, like over here, okay? So I plugged this into my phone, and I was like, how much is this? Like, how far away is this? And it was like 100 miles round trip. So stay with me for a second. This is going to make sense. <laughs> so Jesus was probably in pretty good shape, right, because they walked everywhere? <laughs> <laughs> so let's go ahead and say Jesus could walk 10 miles a day. I know that's a lot, but I'm sure some of you could do it. Um, I couldn't. Um, so he probably walked everywhere. So it's about 30 miles from Bethsaida up to Tyre. So that probably took three days, right? So then he probably hung out there for a couple days, you know, ate and drank and stayed with people and was Jesus. And then he went over to Sidon for a couple days, and that took about two days to get there. And then he was probably there for a couple days. So we're at about seven to nine days, right? And then if he went straight from Sidon back down to the Sea of Galilee, that would take him about four days. So we're at like 14, 15 days. And let's go ahead and give him a few days because he's Jesus, and he just does what he wants. And he's like, hey, I just met you. Can I stay at your house? Um, and he does. It's great. So let's give this whole trip that Jesus took him north about 20 days. About 20 days, okay? 20 days from the time that the disciples had seen him feed 5,000 plus people to the time that they had seen him feed 4,000 plus people, okay? And you're like, why is this important, Rachel? Guys, that's such a good question. Thank you for asking. And here's the thing, you guys. It took 20 days for the disciples to again ask Jesus, God, we don't have enough food for these people, to come up to him and say, sorry, send them away. To again watch in the same amazement as bread starts popping out of baskets, or however Jesus does it, and then to again gather basket after basket after basket of food that was left over. And here's the thing, you guys. The disciples had forgotten what Jesus did the first time that they didn't believe he could do it the second time. And how often is that our story, you guys? How often do we forget what God has done for us in the past? And we come over here and we're like, God, where are you? And he's like, have you not seen me walking with you the whole way? And he's like, just believe in what I've done for you. Just believe. And here's the thing that God is asking. He's like, can you have faith for your future because of my past grace. Let me say that again. Can you have faith in your future because of my past grace, because of what I've done for you? And guys, we serve such a good God, such a good God who's such a good father and only wants the best for his children. And he's like, guys, I'm holding you when you're hurting. Don't you feel me? I'm picking you up when you fail and say, nope, let's try again. Can you see me there? But the question of the night comes up again. Do you believe it? Do you believe it, young adult? In Matthew chapter 14, this is right after. This is the evening after Jesus has fed the 5,000. And I love this story, you guys. This is one of my favorite stories. Matthew 14, verse 22. Immediately he, being Jesus, 
made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. Well, he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, the fourth watch of the night is somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m. These disciples have been at it for a while. So um, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, obviously. And, and Jesus spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And guys, I love Peter. Watch Peter right here. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come, let's go, Peter. <laughs> so Peter got out of the boat and began to walk towards Jesus. Guys, how cool is our God? But when he saw the wind, take note of that. When Peter saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt me? And they got into the boat, and the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. And band, you guys can come on out. So when Peter saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. You can't see wind, right? You can't see wind. You can see the effects of wind, the destruction of wind, but you can't physically see wind. And this was one of the things that caught my eye every single translation I read, and I read a few. And almost all of them say he saw the wind. And what if this means, you guys, what if this means that Jesus was right there, and instead of focusing on Jesus who was standing right in front of him, Peter looked down and he started to see something that wasn't actually visible. And this instantly triggered his brain to say, wait, this shouldn't be happening. This can't be happening. I'm a human. I don't walk on water. And even though he had Jesus at arm's length away, ready to catch him if he fell, you see, Jesus had no intention of letting Peter fall. No intention of it. But this is the thing. Peter let his earthly thoughts take over his son of God belief. Those earthly thoughts that when he looked down, he said, this can't be happening. This isn't real. But a son of God belief was that that said, Jesus, I want to walk on water with you. And that son of God belief is what made him step out of the boat and into the sea, you guys. And how often is this our story? When things are just starting to get good, can you imagine what it would have been like if Peter hadn't looked down? Let's race, Jesus. I will beat you to the other side. <laughs> like how fun would that have been? You know, he can already write this down in his book of amazing memories. But how fun would it have been for him to spend the rest of the day out there? And Jesus is saying this to us, and he's pleading with us, and he's like, why do you doubt me? Why are you so afraid? And here's the thing, you guys. Fear creeps in, and we keep stopping ourselves short of what God has for us. We keep closing our own doors, and we blame God, and we're like, yeah, God just keeps shutting this door. God shut this door, too. And sometimes, yes, yes, God will shut doors. And his mercy and his providence and his grace. He will shut doors and say, you're not ready 
for that one. But more often than not, I'm starting to realize that we close our own doors. God opens them, and we look in, and it's one of two things. It's either pitch black, and we can't see past our hands, or we look in, and it's too good to be true, and we back ourselves into the hallway, and we say, this can't be for me. This can't be for me. And the fear of the unknown overtakes us once more. And aren't you getting tired of sitting in the hallway? Aren't you tired of it, you guys? The last passage that we're going to look at tonight is one of my favorites. It's one of my favorites, and it's in Mark, Mark chapter 4. And on the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, let's cross over to the other side. And they had left the multitude. They took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. A great storm arose, waves beat into the boat, so it was already filling with water. And he, Jesus was in the stern. Guys, I love this. He's asleep on a pillow. I wish I could sleep like Jesus. And they came, and they awoke him, and they said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care? Then he stood and he rebuked the storm, and he said, peace be still. And the wind ceased, and the waters calmed, and the storm was over. And he turns and he said to them, he's like, why are you so fearful? How is it that you are still afraid? And they feared him exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be? that even the wind and the sea obey him. And see this, guys. This is at the beginning of Mark 4, so it's pretty early on in the account of Mark. But at this point, the disciples had already seen quite a few miracles happen. They've already seen a man with a withered hand be healed. They've seen a paralytic be healed. They've seen a leper cleansed. And they've seen Jesus rebuke a demon out of a man. And so often I think that we bash on the disciples and we say, how do you not believe that's your best friend. How do you not believe when you see miracle after miracle after miracle after you see people raised from the dead, after you see him heal children and the sick? But that's us, you guys. That's how we live. We keep forgetting what God has done for us over here. Do you see that? We keep forgetting he can protect. We keep forgetting he has a story written now. And we walk over and we shake God awake. And we're like, do you not care? Do you not care? And he's looking at us and he's like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? That's all I do is care. That's all I do. And God is asking us the same question that Jesus asked the disciples in that boat. He says, why are you so afraid? How is it that you have no faith? And listen to me, you guys. I know these feelings. I know them because that was me. Both sides of the spectrum, scenario creator and hiding in the hallway. I was on both sides. But I know this too. Fear is going to keep your life small for as long as you let it. Do you understand that? Fear is going to hold you and confine you and keep you small until you break out of it. And like I said earlier, we are robbing God of giving us the greatest dreams of our life when we're afraid to just walk into the unknown. 
We are robbing God. And I don't know how easy this is going to be for you to fix, okay? I don't know your level of unbelief. I don't know your stories. I don't know your hearts. But I do know that it's in this room because I talk to you guys every single week. I know it's in here. But listen to this, you guys. Fear was not in the cards when God wrote this world into creation. Fear was not in the cards when he wrote your story. Do you believe that? Fear is not in the cards for you. It's not in the cards, and I don't have a list of things for you guys to go home with tonight and ponder. I don't have bullet points for you guys to read. I have one question for you. I have one question. But the thing is, is the minute you ask this question, you have to be ready for God to answer because he's going to. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for that? This question, if you let it, is going to change your life. It's going to change you. And the only question I have for you tonight is straight from God. And he says, my child, am I not good? And do you believe it? Do you believe, young adult? And I know, I know it's scary to walk forward and say, here you go. Here you go, God. Here you go. Here's my future. Here's my dreams. Here's what I'm passionate about. I give it to you. But can you imagine, can you imagine with me for just a second what it would look like if all of us walked out these doors tonight not afraid anymore of what's to come? Could you imagine what your life would look like if you didn't have to try to figure your life out anymore? Can you just picture it? Close your eyes and picture it for a second. And it's a beautiful thing. It's beautiful. What dreams are you living in? What freedom are you walking in when you're like, I don't have to do this by myself anymore. And now you get to walk alongside with the creator of this world who wrote you into this world. Do you understand that, guys? God wrote you into this world because he wanted you here, because he needed you here. He's not just going to leave you in the hallway. He's not going to leave you out there. About a year and a month ago, almost to the day, um, I quit my job. It was great. And uh, I was working at a preschool, and for various reasons, I loved, I loved my kids, but I couldn't do the job anymore. And I walked into my boss's office, and very unexpected, I quit. She had no idea it was coming. Sorry. And, um, and, and she looked at me. She's like, well, Rach, what are you going to do? What are you going to do next? And I looked at her in the back of my head. I didn't tell her this, but I was like, I honestly have no idea. You see, at this point, two years ago, I was waiting to hear back on whether or, got, whether or not I got an internship at Red Rocks Church. And honestly, when I quit my job, when I had my last day, I wouldn't have known for two more months on whether or not I would get this internship. But for the first time in my life, I didn't try to create a scenario for myself. I didn't try to walk myself into a situation, but I didn't hide in the hallway. For the first time in my life, I opened the door that God had unlocked, and I said, God, it's pitch black in here. I can't see anything, but I know you can. I know you can. I know you have this written, and you're going to turn the lights on when I'm ready to see 
And I walked in and I took his hand and I said, you lead. And, and the last day of my job, a lot of my friends and I went out um, to celebrate. And one of my friends, we were cheersing and he jokingly, he was like, Rachel's unemployed. And everyone's like, yeah. <laughs> and for a split second in the back of my mind, I was like, what did I just do? I literally was like, I should probably go get my job back tomorrow. Oh, man. But I can't tell you how glad I am that I didn't. I can't tell you how glad I am that for the first time I just said, okay, Jesus, you lead me. You lead me, and I'm going to follow, and I don't know what it looks like, but I'm tired of living a small life of fear. I'm tired of it. And that is my prayer. That is my belief. That is what I've been praying for each and every one of you tonight. And God has such big plans for you. He has such big dreams. But do you believe it, damn adults? Do you believe it? And tonight, worship is going to look a little bit different. And normally what we would do is at the end of a message, we, we raise our hands and say, yes, help me in my unbelief. But to a certain extent, I feel like you guys have heard this message before. Doug preached one last year. Jesse preached one at the Red Conference. But the problem is, is that nothing has changed. And you're still sitting in the hallway because you're afraid. And so tonight what I want to do, if this message is for you, if this message is for you and God is just speaking to you, tugging on your heart, say, don't be afraid anymore. I want you to stand up. I want you to stand. And I know that right now, every single eye in this room is open and everyone can see you and everyone's looking at you. But the thing is, is that you don't need to live in fear anymore. Aren't you tired of living in fear? Aren't you tired of it? And so what I'm gonna have you guys do tonight, this first song that the band is gonna play is one of my absolute favorites. And what I want you to do is you can come down front and I want you to just take this first song and let the band just pray it over you. Let the band just pour it over you. It is so good. And guys, we serve such a good God. So you guys can come on down front and I'm gonna pray. Holy Spirit, you are so good. God, you're so good. And Father, we just don't live in fear anymore. God, we just rebuke that fear. We push it behind us and we say no more. God, help us live big lives. Help us live big lives. Jesus, take that fear away. And Lord, I just thank you and I praise you for who you are, for what you're doing in this room. And tonight, I pray for life change, God. Not just a walk down to the altar, but Lord, that you will actually change hearts in here. That we can walk out of these doors not being afraid to live our lives anymore. God, just seal it. Seal it, Lord. You are so good. You're such a good father. And God, we look forward with expectation for the dreams that you have yet to come for us. It's in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.